hear the thing ring this time. You didn't. No. You're so punctual. I try. You do. I know you do. You're so good. Remember what was last time? Just plop my butt in the seat, launch Skype. Here I well, am. You know, you know how you think there's differences in pronouncing words that are actually the same? I think that's the problem with people in punctuality. I don't think they see it. I think it's undetectable. They don't, no, they don't notice we, the time. We all have like network synchronized clocks on our phones. We know what time it is, <sighs> figuratively and literally. Mm. Mm. Breaking news, vault space. That's right. Excited so, about that. What happened with vault space? It got bigger. There is more of it. So you, you had so many relics, you'd filled your, your vault. I had. I always, always fill. Here's the thing. You always have to keep one space free. No, not for Elijah. That t- joke is tired. We've covered this before. You always have to keep one space free, kind of like one of those slidey puzzles, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the way right? the puzzle not works. Not because you actually slide things around, but because uh, I think third-party clients, and I think maybe even the first-party client, use the vault as a waypoint when transferring items. So you can't transfer an item directly from one character to another. You have to have one free space in the vault for it to do the hen chicken r- grain whatever yeah thing. crossing the river in the boat and you got to put it in the empty spot and then put the thing from the empty spot back to the person and do the thing oh. so i was living at 199 out of 200 for the past like half year That's okay no so live. real talk you, you you talked about this during the destiny episode but but remind me what this is you you acquire different kinds of things especially like exotic weapons and stuff you get cool weapons you level them up and they have a finite amount of space for you to store. They don't give you like a bag of holding or something or a room of holding. You've got only so many cubic feet of space to put stuff in. Is that right? Or is it just, yeah, is got, it, it's just a, a, number a, thing, of slots. a thing? A thing equals a slot. That's it. You, you got Yeah, exactly. And you got slots on the characters. And then you've got a thing called the vault that's shared amongst all of them. And that's all the space you get. What is the reasoning for that particular limit? Why, why 199? Or 200. Back in the old days, I think there was some story about it being a limit on some of the older consoles in terms of memory because they'd have all these basically sprites on the screen and you'd put your cursor over them and it would show a larger, more detailed picture and info. Uh-huh. Like, so it had to have all of them in memory so you could just sort of hover over them like, like oh. giant graphical tooltips. Yep. And the, I think one of the excuses I heard was like, well, since this game is also available on previous generation consoles, they don't have enough memory for us to have more space, which always sounded wrong to me. But anyway... In the modern era, when the game is not available on really old consoles, I'm not sure why they limit it. I mean, I feel like they should just give us as much space as we want, or hell, charge us money for space, but I'm sure there's some technical reason somewhere deep inside why they can't do that. Uh, but nevertheless, they do, as the expansions get released, give you more space. So it's okay. good that they can give you more space, but apparently not unlimited space, which puts a real uh, damper on people who like to collect stuff like me, yeah. because I want, I want one want of everything. Mm-hmm. If I find something... Maybe it's crap, maybe it's not, but I just want to have it because I feel like if I just I just delete it, it's like I never even found it. So part of the game for me is collecting the stuff. And I would love to have one of everything, but I can't because there's not enough space. So I have to kind of ruthlessly keep only the things that only only the things that I find that spark joy in Destiny. Yes, them you're vault. like the Marie Marie condominium of night counts. Yeah, ex- except for filling up all available space. Okay. So Okay, so I'm a dumb guy. Uh, as you know, uh, is it, do you think, okay, so, hmm? Oh, 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 you're sending me the vault. Is that the vault? No, I'm not sending you anything. I'm just trying to dismiss a stupid tooltip in Skype. 
And <laughs> if, it's, if it did something to you, I'm sorry. It's just, it's ringing. It's making, oh, it sent us a picture of our two icons with a gradient background. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that button was, but I couldn't get to the chat window. I've gotten this from people dismissing. before. You're not the first one. Yeah, because you can't, like, the window becomes, it's like window modal tooltip. It just takes over the entire window and you can't do anything until you click it. So I clicked it and now mm-hmm. I'm back to being able to chat. Yeah. I also like to dismiss all the uh, uh, status updates. Mm-hmm. You got to wait until a new person updates their status and then you can say, don't show it from these people. You can't do it all at one time. You got to just wait. It's a terrible program. It's really, it doesn't seem very well planned out. It's kind of like the unambitious way in which they designed the Vault for Your Destiny game. Well, I had a dumb question, but it's really a dumb question, so never mind. Um, and so they changed the limit from 200 slots to how many? Guess. 256. That's a good guess. Uh, but Because no, the dumb question it. I was going to ask you is, if, if this were a database you looked at and went, Meh, because it was designed a long time ago, is it because they hadn't added enough characters for a field or because they'd arbitrarily limited the number of records or something else? No, it's not one of those type of limits. It was... It was uh, a business decision. Talked about, business in term, decision. talked about it in terms of memory, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what you can keep in memory on the console for when you go into and out of that, stream, that screen. But I, I don't know if I believe it. But anyway, they increased it from 200 to 300. And well, why 300? Weird. Why not 400? Why not 1,000? <laughs> why not 3,000? I don't even know. I do not know. I mean, I can understand why not 3,000 just on the face of it, but like, why not 500? I don't understand why not 3,000. It's, it's a computer. Of all the things this computer is doing, mm-hmm. having, like, it, it's paginated. Like, so there's a screen full of items. It's not as if all they're all on the screen at the same time. There's pages of them. Hmm. So just paginate and just let me swipe, swipe, swipe. Just let me go through the pages. Yeah. I'll deal with them. You can sort them. Like, it's, I don't know. Anyway, 300 is way better than 200. So I'm in this brief moment where I have all this free space. And by the end of the week, it'll be full again. No kidding. You've had to be that tough with the decision making. Well, there's new stuff. Like, there's new oh. stuff. That's why they give you new space. So Rob, Robert Destiny's taco truck came by with the yeah, new what's drop. It, what's the origin of the Robert thing? I heard it on Do By Friday, and I heard it here. No, it's just a dumb joke. It's just, I know. Uh, like, what's the origin of I'm the dumb joke? I'm not telling you. Yeah, it's the secret, <laughs> secret origin of this dumb joke. <laughs> It'll be released later. It'll be retconned. It'll turn out it was part of Weapon X all along. Mm-hmm. Hold for laugh. Um... So that's good. This sounds good. You can enjoy your game now. We now I, my daughter used the PlayStation today. She she played Lego uh, the Lego game on it, and uh, I used it uh, this weekend to uh, watch a Blu-ray. So I'm still using the PlayStation. Whoa, yeah, Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched a Blu-ray on my PlayStation Four. Oh boy, it's fun. <laughs> boy, you know I, I mean I know I'm an old man. I know I think like an old man and do things like an old man. But I've never felt more like an old man than my daughter's like. Oh, let's watch a Miyazaki. And she's like, I really want to see Porco Rosso. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I love that movie. And we pop in the disc. Of course, <laughs> first I hit the wrong button. <laughs> I always hit the wrong button first. I eject the thing that's in there. Uh, and then we put in the, the Blu-ray and it starts kicking. Like, I go, ah, because ah, ah, I don't remember the incantation. I always forget you hit the like options, brings up the little menu for it. <laughs> and you should have seen me. I, I look like the oldest old man trying to navigate like getting past the ads and everything and getting to like the play this disc menu. It was top the saddest menu, thing. Pop up menu, top menu, advance. It's the worst. It's, yeah. it's so, it's so, so bad. Uh, I mean, just, just the whole blight of watching plastic media. It's like a puzzle. How do you get to your, to your movie? Your movie is well, in like here somewhere. You, Can you find it? I mean, I don't know. I feel, I don't know if it was always this way, but you know, when you got a VHS, 
like a rental or you bought one, you knew that you could at any point arbitrarily hit fast forward to go past the ads for all the other Disney films and the things that are going to be going into the vault and all those kinds of things. But like, I feel like I've had DVDs in the past for that was difficult, opaque, or potentially impossible to do. And like, if you don't know to skip over all that stuff, like how much, if you had to start starting with whatever, with the FBI warning, with the credits, with everything, how much stuff do you think you'd have to sit through on a typical Blu-ray before you got to the point where you got to the spoiler screen and could hit play? I bet 15 minutes. Too much. Sometimes even more. Yeah. Operation not permitted. It's a feature of the Blu-ray spec that during certain sequences, you can forbid certain operations. Like you can forbid the advanced track. You could forbid the top menu or pop-up menu buttons because you want them to see the FBI warning or the trailers Mm -hmm. or whatever. And you give people the ability to do that. And guess what? They'll do it. They'll do it whenever they feel like it. Yeah. But it's not fun. I, I figured there's probably got to be a remote out there. Because, I mean, it's a fine Blu-ray player once it's actually playing, you know, the movie. It looks it looks great. I mean, even with my eyes, I notice the difference. A Blu-ray looks really good. Those those Game of Thrones discs look pretty darn good. Do you have, you don't, do you have any 4K Blu-rays? No, I don't. I don't. I think I need a different player for that. Uh, oh, God, yeah. That, so that, Ours I, is almost three years old. There was some limitation with the PS4 that maybe it didn't do 4K Blu-rays, which I know you at least need a different cable, I think. And I think I probably would need... I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't need that. Boy, I'll you tell you, though, buddy. You don't need a different cable. But. Since I got the 4K TV, brother, woo, those bandwidth bills are going up. <laughs> I'm getting, you know, I'm getting that Jason Snell letter all get, the time wait, you now. You get bandwidth bills? Like what you... No, no, no. It's just, I think they've stopped bothering to even tell me how horribly over I am every month. Mm. And that's the, it's weird because I don't get it at work, which is strange. So it's got to be, seems like it's got to be probably Netflix, Netflix original content yeah, in particular. Netflix 4K, yeah. Yeah. Boy, the HDR looks good though. Um, That reminded me of something else. Did you see the little, uh, little voodoo trick this week? Mm, when you stick pins in little dolls, what? Yeah, exactly. Movies anywhere. I always get the name wrong. So something out there that you all certainly already definitely know about, um, and I'll be dumb enough to remind you, is something called Movies Anywhere, which is one of those things. To me, this is along the lines of Steve Jobs' people negotiating 99-cent DRM-free <laughs> It's like Netflix, MP3s. but for going to the movies. Oh, well, you know that one place is going to be shutting down soon. Is that That's what you're talking about, right? That place. Mo- oh, Movie Pass. Oh, no, you're not talking about that. You're talking about the application. <laughs> MoviePass supposedly anywhere. has 30 days or less of runway left. Hmm. Movies Anywhere is a service you go and you get an account on. I think it's by Disney, primarily. And it was originally, I think, Disney Anywhere. But this is, this is the craziest thing. You go and you log in. I'm clicking. I'm clicking. Oh, I don't want to do all the robot. You go to Movies Anywhere and you get an account. And once you go in, then you authenticate with iTunes, Prime Video, Vudu, Google Play, and for some reason, Fandango now. I don't know why you would want that. And it's, I, I don't have the terms of service at hand, but basically the way it works is pretty much almost anything you bought with money on any of those services will pretty much be available on any of the other services. Vis-a-vis, like the minute we bought Paddington 2 on iTunes, it also showed up in Prime Video and Vudu, which is a freestanding app. This becomes important in a minute. Uh, like the free movie that I got for signing up for YouTube Red, the the free movie I got or movies I got from Google Play all show up in iTunes. Are you getting this? It's pretty cool. Like, especially if you don't want to have to use your Apple TV to watch the movies you bought. Uh, it does not go for TV. It's just movies as far as I know. But here's the neat hack is that Disney, Pixar, et cetera, are slowly rolling out 
4K uh, HDR of their stuff. Most, uh, I think for a long time, none of it was available on Apple uh, movies. But the cool part is you can go watch it on Vudu on your Apple TV and you get the full, uh, where available, you get the full 4K version. I thought that was really cool. I love that this exists. I love, I think it is super handy. And I think if you don't want to be cleft to the Apple ecosystem hundred percent all the time forever, I really like using our just regular LG TV apps. They're really pretty good. Mostly totally works movies anywhere. I'll put it in notes. So I have this app and I, I used it like I used it to, to see the digital features for the last Jedi, for example, I think I watched them on my iPad, like the little featurettes things. It's uh-huh. like, it's got the extras and everything too. And stuff stuff that want, iTunes may not have. I think iTunes might have it, but maybe it's gotten, iTunes has gotten way better at that than it was. Yeah, but it still doesn't maybe, do stuff maybe, like director's commentaries. Or maybe I was waiting for my Blu-ray to arrive because it was lagging. But I think anyway, uh, I have this app and it's, uh, and I just want to see how many of movies it could find for me. Uh-huh. I can't tell. I think they're mostly iTunes stuff. Like I'm scrolling through them. It's not that many. How many movies do you have? Movies uh, anywhere. So I go to my movies. Let's say the top. Um, fewer than we've bought on iTunes, 195. Yeah. Not quite sure over, I, I think we've got 200 and something on iTunes. Mine just has 71. But I did sign up for YouTube Red, but I don't see any free movies that are on there. But anyway, I, it confuses me that this thing exists. Because if this thing can exist, like, oh, here are these movies in a more convenient format that you can watch anywhere uh, yeah. le- on either unencumbered by DRM or encumbered by different DRM. It's like, well, if it can be this convenient, why are the individual services so stupid? Like, yeah. they're allowing this to happen somehow. There's something that's allowing this service to exist. This can aggregate all my movies and let me see them anywhere. But every other service that they're pulling from is more limited, which seems dumb to me. I don't know. I obviously don't understand what, what this is that I'm looking at. But anyway, I installed it and it lets me watch movies. So whatever. Yeah, no, I, I, I just, and the reason I, I'm, first of all, I'm saying it because um, whatever business decisions and negotiations went into this, wow, I can't believe there's this many people whose movies are available in all these different places for a million reasons. I can't believe that that exists. But I also mention it just because, you know, I, I'm interested in, I guess, a slightly different angle on, on what you're talking about here. It is crazy. Like, you shouldn't have to go to Walmart to get this movie and go, you know, go to Target to get that movie. Like, that would be crazy, unless it's, like, a special edition. But Greatest Showman should be available anywhere, because it's a kind of underrated movie. Uh, call Me By Your Name, uh, Brick. Uh, these are good movies. And I'm glad. I'm just glad for, for the people who buy this stuff and went balls deep, in my case, on Apple. I'm glad that, at least for now, it is in many places. That makes me feel less crazy uh, and paranoid and angry about, you know, the Apple stuff. But uh, what was the other point about this? Oh, yeah, I guess I feel like sort of like between like my Apple TV still drives me nuts. It's still not a fantastic device, but there are some things I do like about it. Like I said, probably five times before we are really I know I am way in on on Siri to control Apple TV, as you say, partly because the remote is so substandard. But I love that. I love that we just say face off. And it's a little thing pops up and it says, do you mean the movie with John Travolta or do you mean the TV show? We hit the TV show. We hit the episode we want and it says open in. That's, I think that is a great feature and good on Apple for making that a feature. So between stuff like this and stuff like that, like I do feel like it's getting less strictly horrible. The ecosystem yucks. Yeah, I suppose my, my TV is still not smart enough to do movies anywhere, but I suppose there's a Apple TV app for it as well. I don't know if I mentioned it here or on Back to Work, but Hulu recently updated the app for the LG TV. So now I can do 
the incredibly overpriced service for you know DVR and streaming live and stuff like that. That works fine now on the TV. I want to give you some homework, uh, just as a fun thing to try. Too much homework. Too much. No, no, no. no this protest. is easy. Science shows that doesn't actually help kids. You know what? I I I tested this real quickly the other day because it kind of went, but I was just kind of idly saying. I said to Siri, blah blah blah, the name of something, and it found it in Plex. And I, and I, I don't think I was in Plex at the time. Yeah, you can do that through the TV app. But it searches across all your stuff, including Plex. Yeah, because because I thought Plex was a kind of an island. No, it's like a it's like a opt in thing that any application on Apple TV can participate, and in. that Apple doesn't kibosh, huh? The whole point is that it's the TV app. It's supposed to aggregate all your stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's uh, on the face of it, your uh, omnivorous box. No, it's not even close. But no. it, okay. uh, all of the Apple TV applications that participate in this system can have their stuff appear. That's why the, when you when if you're watching something in Plex and you go back to Apple TV, you'll see in a big box in the upper left, like continue watching whatever. And if you right, right, right. well, here's what I've never seen. I've never seen open in Plex as an option so far. So that'll give me homework to go and look at something I've got in more than one place and see if it gives me that option. But yeah, just give it a try. See if it works. See if Siri can get to when you're on the homepage or whatever it's called. Try asking for something you know is on Plex and see if it goes there. Yeah, I usually just go directly to it, but I'll try that. Because Plex is easy to navigate. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I, way easier than most. I think it's every, one of the, it, it far my... away one of the better. Uh, as you know from you're on my collection, you know I've got a lot of stuff. I find it very navigable compared to Hulu. I just wanted to remember my preferences across all the places where I view Plex. Was I always want it to browse, not discover, and I always want it sorted by date added to my collection. Does and it do that, that for puts, you? Yeah, you, but if you, somehow like it either forgets when I do upgrades or I haven't oh, okay. done it on this particular uh, client with this particular server, I have multiple Plex servers in my house. It's very confusing. But Sometimes it tries to be too clever. There are some apps, like I want to say the uh, um, maybe the Fire TV app, maybe the LG app, but I like the simplicity of the way it's done on Apple TV. Sometimes it tries to get too clever and it tries to do some kind of like collaborative f- filtering a la XBMC and go, here's all of your movies that feature children with slingshots. And it's like, no, don't stop showing me, stop grouping things in interesting ways. That's like never how I use it. You know what I mean? Does you ever get that on any of your installations where it'll do like some crazy like grouping That's the of discover movies? view, right? If you want to discover things, like I don't need to discover. I know what's no. in there. Just sort it the way I want it to be sorted. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Instabug. You can learn more about Instabug right now by visiting instabug.com slash diffs. More than 20,000 mobile apps, including Lyft, eBay, and T-Mobile, are all using Instabug to enhance the quality of their apps. Instabug is a lightweight SDK that provides mobile apps with comprehensive bug and crash reporting. With just one line of code to integrate, Instabug helps you receive detailed bug reports with minimal effort. Here's one cool feature. Users can submit feedback by simply shaking their phones. What? That's right. You just shake your phone. That's all you got to do. Each bug report has a screenshot that can be drawn on. And the user can even attach a voice note or a screen recording as well. How cool is that? That is all done from your app with zero interruption to the user experience. The Instabug dashboard will show you a comprehensive report that includes all device details, reproduction steps, network logs, all the logs you need to debug faster, all the great logs, Best part is it's all automatic. You can also reply to your users from your Instabug dashboard so you can let them know that their issue has been fixed 
Or you can even go ask them for more feedback. And Instabug can forward all reports to Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, Zendesk, whatever else you use. Their SDK takes about one minute to integrate into your app. What? That's crazy. So go right now. You visit instabug.com slash diffs and create an account now. No credit card required. If you're a developer, you can sign up for a free forever plan and everyone else can use promo code instabugloves Instabugloves diffs one word, to get 20% off all plans for three months. So you go to instabug.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, and use the very special offer code instabugloves one word. Our thanks to Instabug for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I think we have a fair amount of uh, follow-up this week. Standard, standard amount. Okay, I, think. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, I retract the attempt at uh, comedy and pleasantness. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand from this note you've left here that <laughs> the the challenges of maintaining the chair you have at your workplace continue. Is that correct? Not my chair specifically, but one's chair. My chair, as you know, is gone. <laughs> And I'm sitting in the new style chair with arms removed. You took your but arms off. Yeah, I still have a an ongoing interest in how how goes the battle against the chair cleansing. Uh, and as far as I was aware, my entire floor had been cleansed, except one holdout chair that somehow had survived. Uh, and I <laughs> Somebody to put the, it in an attic behind a bookcase. Yeah, and and so and every every like couple of days, I'd wander by that part of the office and say, "I wonder if he still got his chair. Is he still successfully defending? Like maybe they had just gone. Maybe they'd moved on to to greener pastures, and they're cleansing some other part of the very large building that I'm in, and they just aren't going to come back here." Uh, but then I saw in one of our Slack channels at work, uh, uh, someone complaining that the chair had been stolen, and oh, I'm like, no. "Well, that's the same person. That's the guy with who had the old chair. So maybe he, ha ha, he's he's finally lost his chair." And I went to go check it out a couple of days later, but he still had his chair. I'm like, what's the deal? If you've been successfully defending your chair, I thought I saw something about it being taken away. And what he told me was that his chair had been taken twice so far. And that this was, he was on his like third or fourth chair because every time his chair was taken, he would go find another one in a distant conference room. But by the chair cleansers or by miscreants? By the chair cleansers. Oh. Uh, and he would go find another one in a distant conference room. And I asked, well, how does your chair get keep getting taken? Or, or rather, how have you been able to keep this chair so long? And here's what his system was. He sits near a closet. And at the end of the day, he would take his chair, put it into the closet, and close the door. And it's, <laughs> it's literally like three feet from his desk. Like, it's just right there. It's a huge door. If, you're, if you think, if you were... <laughs> Security by obscurity. <laughs> if you were smart enough to think, I think this guy's hiding a chair, you wouldn't have to guess where it was. You'd say... I bet he's hiding in that door that's like three feet from his desk. Right. And that's exactly where the chair is. So I'm like, okay, well, but then how is your chair getting stolen? And he said, sometimes I forget to put it in the closet. Oh, God. And that really crushed me because this is the person who has been able to successfully keep his chair, has mm-hmm. a perfect hiding spot for it, but sometimes can't be bothered to remember to put his chair in the closet. And so he had lost his chair twice so far to the chair cleansing and then just went and found another one. His, his stock, like it's like a trout lake, right? His stock of, of, of good old chairs is going to be running low. Uh, and I'm not sure how, if he can keep up this pace considering he lost two chairs in like a couple of weeks. But as far as I know right now, he still has the chairs, but the, uh, you know, the chair squad is still coming through 
hunting for chairs, seeking them out, looking for them. Not clever enough to look in the closet yet, Mm -hmm. but if they're left out, they'll get them. They're just thugs, John. Thugs. But it's mainly in the service, just so we understand. I want to seek first to understand. The uh, mission of the chair cleansers, as you understand it, is to install new chairs, and the removing the cleansing of the old chairs is a kind of collateral damage. They're just following orders, Marlon. Just following orders, yeah. What would happen if you brought in your own bespoke chair? And maybe it had a big uh, uh, JS on it in, like, uh, uh, Zaf Chancery. Like, what, what if you had, what if you had a, your own big JavaScript chair that was yours? Would the cleansers take it and replace it with one of the proper uh, racially pure chairs? So the theory is, the working theory is, despite the seeming mindlessness of the chair cleansers, like they just one-track mind, they can't be reasoned with, they can't be bargained with, it's what they do, it's all they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is that they do, in fact, know the particular species of chair that they are after like they know specifically this batch of chairs this batch of chairs and this batch of chairs and here are the three models or whatever it is that's that's the way they're programmed they're programmed for that kind of object recognition they wouldn't take a chair that didn't match that they got they got the terminator heads up display right that's Mm -hmm. the theory and there's some support for that theory because they do really seem to have a keen eye for those particular chairs some people have their own chairs that they bought with their own money and brought in but I did hear one report that someone had a chair that they brought with their own money and they tried to take it and were, you know, fended off presumably with like a bat or a broom or something. Um, so I feel like it's a kind of a risk, uh, but I, but there's a good chance you'd be able to get your, your own chair back if they mistakenly took it. Interesting. Have you thought about that? No, I'm just dealing with the new chair. Yeah. Is there a point when you think you might be thinking about it too much? I don't think about that much. I just, I'm, I have a, a you know, a, a rooting you interest. In, you remember the before times. Yeah, and I have a rooting interest in the rebel chair and the, the closet saga and all that business. Yeah, everybody pulls for the little guy. You'd like to see that guy get away. He's like your, whatever, your Steve, Steve McQueen or, or your Cool Hand Luke. You'd like to see, know that guy made it out. Although hearing now that he sometimes forgets to put the chair in the closet, I'm like, well, come on. Rookie, you, rookie error. You, rookie error. Are you dedicated to this cause or is it just like a casual thing? So you, you'll keep us up to date if anything else uh, changes? Oh, yeah. Okay. We need to check in on the progress of your peckerhead. You had, uh, last week, you had the return of your annual woodpecker uh, who was banging on your roof. I suggested a drone. Well, where do we stand from a couple weeks ago? As far as I can tell, the woodpecker has not been back when I've been in the house. Hmm. So you, you don't hear it on crossed. camera or anything? No. I don't, you know, none of my cameras pick it up. If it's here when I'm not around, I don't know it. Um, and I haven't heard it since since coming back. So maybe it has moved on. Uh, but I'll also keep you updated on that. Several of our listeners chimed in to say they thought that the drone was a good idea. In oh, the, yeah. They, they, they always think drones are a good idea. Like everybody thinks the drone's a good idea. Oh, this AI is going to be great for us. Customer service. Um, if you if you find out that your, your peckerhead does come back, w- will you consider a drone? No. Okay. Still, you're no, not persuaded. Like, yeah, we have we have this whole discussion about drones last time. I, I know. I know. I'm 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 the voice. I speak for the audience because they they yeah. they're sending us tweets saying no, you should get a drone. They have other solutions. They have ideas. There's articles people have found. I'm just checking in on behalf of the audience. So yeah, so they want us to get a drone because people think drones are fun and it would be like a fun toy. Wouldn't that be cool? Or whatever. Yeah, for hundred dollars you can get one with a camera. Somebody says exactly. But the last time we discussed this, we yeah. had our own version of that exact discussion, which is let's 
do a fun thing that's ostensibly related to the woodpecker, but it's really just because we want to have a fun thing. And that was the wrist rocket. Yeah. And you ended up getting one of those, but you don't actually have a woodpecker. No, I also don't like my uh, wrist rocker. I should I should have gotten the daisy. Mine's yeah, too complicated. But, but, but anyway, that was our version of that, which yes. was let's get excited about a thing we can get to solve it's a problem, to whether or something. not it really solves You know, maybe it. you should exactly. get a segue. You should a, get a segue. A fun, a fun thing. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll follow you around. All right. Okay. I just I worry about you. Yeah, um, no, I'll keep you updated on that. You'll be sure to know if it comes back. Um, you know what? Forget about it. I'm not going to ask you about Monster Factor. I'm taking it off the list. Why do you why do you doubt yourself? I haven't earned it. I haven't earned it. People are all mad about Millennium Actress. That's a big ha ha for I'm everybody. Not, well, I, I was going to say that I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it for this reason. <laughs> Command Z. Uh, did you watch Monster Factory? I did. Oh, okay. Did you watch the one with Final Pam? Yes, that's the one, the one you sent. I watched the one you sent me. Did you, Did you enjoy it at all? Yeah, I laughed. I mean, it's not. It's not. Did, my was type it kind of thing. funny when 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 they made Trash Hulk really small? Wasn't that kind of funny? Yeah, I like. It, it's not my my type of game video. Like I'm, I'm yeah. familiar with the genre, which is person well, plays genre. game. You mess with the game is a genre. Uh, no, the the broader genre of play video games while yelling. Oh, oh, geez, wow, very, no. ooh, it is a very popular genre. Oh, wow, really? Hmm, very popular. This is like the James Joyce of that kind of uh, genre, though, isn't it? No, this is not. This is not that. It, I mean, this this has a different angle on it. It's more sophisticated than the average playing video games while yelling. So you're answering uh, the question behind the question. You're still not into the McElroy chemistry. You don't think it's funny when Griffin gets really excited? I I laughed a at little it. bit. Did, I, you, I did you mute? Did you mute while you were laughing? I laughed. There was no one there to mute. I wasn't recording it. I laughed mm-hmm. a lot in certain parts. <laughs> Laugh like nobody's watching. In other parts, despite the editing, it dragged a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. So it's not it's not my like I wouldn't maybe if I was super into the game. Okay. Or maybe if they were super into the game. Like that's that's an angle on it that's missing for from uh, my perspective as a fan of watching game videos. They got a good is, one about golf. Has a sweet little alien boy and it's very funny. Like like they were they can be funny on top of anything. So they don't need to have any deep knowledge of Fallout 4 to make this thing funny and and they didn't have that much deep knowledge of Fallout 4 that was on display in the video. But I would prefer it, for example, if they played Destiny and clearly knew every little thing about Destiny and also did a funny video. I think Griffin's good at Destiny, isn't he? You're saying that's know. because he has lots of buddies to help him on his raids. Oh, I don't know if he's I think Griffin's like supposedly pretty good at video games. I think you certainly couldn't tell from the final Pam video. Mm, trash Hulk. Metal husband. Okay, good. You did the homework. Thank you. Um, oh, okay. So then follow-up to the follow-up. Uh, when he does that stuff where he's entering some kind, something like a command line and entering mm-hmm. in codes, what is it? Are those QA codes? What's he doing? When he, when he destroys everything, when he kills every... I think he does that in Final Pam. When he makes stuff, thousands of something fall from the sky, what is he doing? So it looks like the old-style Quake console that many games have, a place where you can get in and start entering commands. Um... I, I've never heard the term QA code used to apply to the things you enter the console. I've but heard it could that just, that is where QA people are supposed to go in and try incredibly insane. I, just, I could be wrong, so please don't write me. But supposedly, that's where people go in and deliberately do stuff to try and get the edge cases of like, okay, what happens if you zoom into Trash Hulk and you accidentally go through the floor and see the other side? That when you're doing QA, you can decide to leave the bug or take it out, but at least find out where the edges are if somebody were to do something unexpectedly insane. Yeah, I don't know if QA people will use that. I suppose if they're trying to reproduce some situation, but no, I, I know I know it was the the origin in my gaming life of that that type of feature is with the original Quake game where you'd hit tilde and you would enter a mode exactly like that, and you could enter a bunch of commands. Go to somebody's and home many, directory. 
And many, many games uh, since Quake, the original Quake, have done exactly that, to have these consoles where you can enter commands to tweak parameters in the game. Okay. Thank you very much for watching it. Now, uh, as a way to thank you, I'm going to give you an enchanted nightgown at this point. You may pick one thing from the long history of me not watching things for me to watch before we record our next episode. It could be Millennium Actress. It could be something else. You now get to pick something that I will most definitely watch before the next time that we talk. What is what, what would pressure. you like to pick? The only one I can even think of is Millennium Actress. Can you think of any other ones? Um, I think you decided before I do Perfect Blue, uh, the f- uh, seconds per five seconds uh, per, per f- second, uh, before I do any of those other ones that I've seen parts of, that I should finish Millennium Actress. That that is my, that's still my ongoing personal homework is to finish that one. Yeah, I still think you should watch that. But like, okay. if uh, honestly, if it didn't grab you in the first though, right? ten minutes, I wonder if it it's seems very ambitious. From the beginning, yeah, I mean, you, you should you should watch. You should okay. just finish watching it. All right, I'll do it. Put it on the list. Got start start the from the beginning again. Sorry, <laughs> I've already like watched the first ten minutes. There's a rocket ship and there's a girl. Right, you got you got to watch it again. <clears throat> it seems very ambitious. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you say that. Oh, it just felt like it was going to be a genre hopping something or other for sure, and it's animated, which is nice. Maybe you didn't even get ten minutes. All right, just didn't I? just watch it. Just yeah. watch it. I saw some. I saw Summer Wars. That was good. Hey, I haven't even seen that one. It's been I saw on my Summer list Wars. I, I saw the other one it. that's about phones. Uh, the sad one with time travel. I saw that one. Voices of a distant star. Voices of a distant star. I saw that. That's only it's only twenty minutes long. Well, I know, but I had to do all that screen reading and, and rewinding. There's a lot of screens <laughs> in yeah, that, John. The, the sub- subtitle, subtitles are fast. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Feature phones. Uh, that's so. Well, we covered everything. We did vault space. We we did it all. Uh, how would you like to proceed? Uh, let's see what we've got here. I'm worried that our main topic tonight is boring. The top one? Mm, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's. Uh, but let's... Uh, no, I'll, I'll talk about it. I just don't. I'm afraid that it's going to be an old man topic that will perhaps only be interesting to you and me. But I defer to you. Before we dive into that, I want to touch on Isle of Dogs before both of us forget entirely about it. Okay. And I don't think this needs to be in the spoiler slot because okay. uh, we're. I think we can talk in broad terms about it and don't need to spoil any particulars of the plot. Okay. But I, now I don't remember which one of us put this in here. Was it me or you? You. I had talked about it. Oh, <sighs> you talked about it being as, as being a movie. All right, here, and I remember now. Okay. I mentioned it on Back to Work, and I accidentally sounded like a real pill about it because there are very few movies I can think of definitely in the last year, probably longer, where I was more excited after seeing the trailer. I went into that thing so ready for this to be my next Fantastic Mr. Fox, like a movie I would love, love, love. Uh, and I have, I have lots of follow-up on this, but just my, my immediate reaction in the theater was, Ugh. Uh, and it was real scary. I noticed a lot of the scariness. I noticed a lot of the grossness. I noticed a lot of the huge, huge, huge plot and continuity holes that I usually don't notice in a movie I'm just into. Like, I didn't notice a bunch of stuff about somebody's fur being wrong in Fantastic Mr. Fox. There's all kinds of stuff in the story that I was just like, this is so implausible, so cruel. And yet, and yet, something like three weeks later, I still think about this movie constantly, and now I can't wait to see it again. But I ended up saying, I ended up sounding like an old man, because I was like, you know what? This ain't no Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm so glad I did not bring my 10-year-old to this movie personally, even though now she's kind of obsessed with it, because I'm obsessed with it, and uh, she really wants to see it once it's available at home or it won't be as loud or scary. So that's the thing that struck me is you you saw it yourself and you said you were so glad you didn't bring your daughter to it. Yes. 
And I was surprised by that because I saw it with the whole family. My daughter is about the same age as yours. And I didn't think there was anything about it that was, you know, was when I was watching it, I wasn't checking over to my kids to make sure that they're really? okay. Not and after all. I got done with it, I didn't think it was particularly bothersome, but maybe I'm wrong about it. Can you tell me what you thought, uh, is it what you thought would be bothersome? Well, um, again, this is going to be a little bit tough. I'll try to abstract this in a way that doesn't spoil the movie. Although, frankly, I'm so sick of thinking about spoilers. I'm, I'm so tired of it. Ugh, it's exhausting. We should talk about it someday. Spoiler culture. Um, so I, like I say, Fantastic Mr. Fox, it's, it's worth saying that that's the only Wes Anderson movie my kid has seen. It is absolutely a family favorite. It's one of those, it's like The Incredibles, like where we could just put that on anytime and everybody loves it. Everybody walks around singing Beach Boy songs for a couple of days after. Uh, that movie's, you know, kind of in my bones. I really love so much about that movie. And the, the, the thing is, on the face of it, like when you first saw that trailer, it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be such a tour de force of the like the the annoying parts of Wes Anderson that I like and the stop motion stuff of Fantastic Mr. Fox that I revere. So, but what's funny was I expected her to be so over the moon about it, but you know how every kid is. Every kid has things you know about that freak them out, things you don't know about that freak them out that they're not going to tell you, and she immediately was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. and every time we'd see that either on TV or in a trailer before a movie, she was like stricken. She was like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to see this. So, you know, I thought I'd go in and see it by myself and like give it that like easy thumbs up of like a fool. Of course, this will be fine to bring her to. Uh, and I, and so like I say, I'm glad I didn't the specifics. Well, so what was she, when she was seeing the trailer and saying, mm, what, what was she saying? It was the reason she didn't want to see this. Well, that was one of the things it was like, she wouldn't say exactly what it was. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's strange. Like I know, I know what her, some of her triggers are and I didn't see any of them in this, but I wanted to respect what, you know, I'm not going to drag her to this. She really didn't want to go. Um, the stuff in it, um, there's this, there's a great term that gets used uh, sometimes in talking about these movies, a term that was meaningless to me as a child, but I now find very meaningful, um, mayhem. There's a lot of mayhem. Most of it's like fairly comical mayhem, but there is a lot of um, fighting, and to use another favorite phrase of mine, personal violence. There's a lot of like an individual is specifically harmed in a specific way. It isn't just like a stormtrooper with a, you know, laser bolt. Um, and there's those kinds of fights and injuries. There's a lot of like injuries. There's a lot of like animals that have been, that are really sick. And there are animals that are really like damaged. And as you probably know, some people are very, very sensitive about animals and violence. But I think part of it was also uh good pretty good storytelling at points but pretty unrelenting like oh something bad happens that's probably irreversible and this will not have a happy ending uh i'll just say particularly with regard to um we wonder what happened to spots let's say and i think you can know the scene i'm talking about to go oh that's when they first think they know what happened to spots yeah i, I, I mean do you know what i'm talking mean, about I shall i type it that, no, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, 
And so, so, so that's so stuff. That's why I was saying if, if she's seen the trailers and saying she's bothered by it, like the easy answer would be it's because this trailer makes me think this movie will have animals in danger and animals in danger bother me. Yeah. Animals in danger Santa. and kids in danger are two things she's not a huge fan of. Yeah. That's why we had to turn off Titanic. We made it almost like two thirds of the way through Titanic before there's that scene with the little girl in the room with filling up with water. And it was like, nope, we're done here. Like that's mm-hmm. it. But yeah. again, cause every kid's different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So for, for setting aside kids, uh, things that kids don't like about this movie, which this definitely is a darker take than fantastic Mr. Fox and has more potential things that could be, that could bother kids. Um, but it is mostly silly. Like for example, the violence, it's, they have like little dust clouds, like cartoon dust clouds. Yeah, when they fight, and, like, it looks like a Warner Brothers it. cartoon. Like it's completely, you know, obscured. Um, but when I watch a movie like this, I think about how much work it is to do this kind of stop motion animation <sighs> augmented by computers or whatever the heck they're doing. Right. It's a lot of work. When I see animated pictures, I feel kind of the same way. And for some reason, I feel this more than I do with live action, which probably doesn't make any sense given the budget of live action movies. But I think if you knew you were going to have this huge team of people spend two or three years doing this painstaking stop motion stuff, like that just everything is lovingly made, all the all of the sets and Every, props every frame and lighting, the fur moves. Right. They, like, they just, blow on the fur like between frames so it looks like it's moving in the wind. Yep. And, and just the care it takes and like there's no there's no cheating it but but also like so many scenes where multiple things it's the equivalent of like a moving camera where there's like multiple characters moving at different speeds and amounts mm-hmm. like that if you really think about what you're seeing in that scene it's mind-boggling and then i think about all of that work and i think if you knew you were going to do all that work wouldn't you have made sure that before you set all those people on this course of years of their life doing this hard thing that you had like a really good script and a story and something that you wanted to spend yeah. this people on. And I know that's silly because probably the budget of this movie is a fraction of what it is for like a Marvel blockbuster or whatever. But I think about just maybe it's just because it's like, it's different than regular movie making that you just, just don't point your camera at something. Well, every, and every shot has to be planned out so meticulously like months in advance. You have to have the different size models with different kinds of fur at different points. Like you have to way overthink every decision you make in this movie. It's like the, that Wallace and Gromit thing with the, uh, saw this, this thing about what one guy whose job it is to mix the clay for, do you ever see that one? No. Uh, so, you know, Wallace and Gromit, the mm-hmm. claymation yeah. thing, stop motion, but with clay. And they're talking about for, you know, for a movie, I forget whatever the movie was. Maybe it was one of the Shaun the Sheep ones or something. <laughs> this Cracking cheese, Gromit. <laughs> yeah. And this guy's job was to, uh, he's like a clay color maker. So like pick the color of like, uh, you know, Wallace's skin whatever pale pink that is, right? He's got to make that color uh, and he's got to make it so that it's the same color through the whole movie. Like there can't be drift, right? And also he has to match it to the non-clay parts of him because there are parts that are plastic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And on camera, the plastic looks a little bit different than the clay. So they don't act, they can't actually be the, the same color. They have to be like offset from each other by a little bit. So they look like the same color on camera. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's got, well, he's depending next to probably on stuff like depth of field and lighting and other stuff that's in the frame, like for contrast reasons, you, it would be really weird to be able to get that exactly right. Right. And, and it looks bad if some part of them is a different color from frame to frame, or if it doesn't match the beginning move or the end. So you got to mix it up and you got to know the right amount. And so he's there in front of this giant machine that looks like a, like Stephen King's The Mangler, 
like a you know huge thing that mixes clay together, right? And he's got these giant blocks of clay. Uh, they takes like a giant block of like white clay and then like a, a handful of red clay and a pinch of this clay and just like it mostly just like it looks like it's white and you just throw in like the one dollop of like the red clay and you chuck the thing into this big bin and it goes down it gets ground up and extruded out of this thing and it comes out hot because like just from the friction of just squishing it together mm-hmm. and then you take it and you put it back on the top of the machine again and it goes back through and it comes out and you take it you know it's just over and over and over again pounds and pounds of clay huge chunks and like this is the only chance you get because if you don't exactly match it and you run out of clay, it's almost impossible to get another batch that's exactly the same color as this. And this is this guy's job. And they're asking, how long do you do this? And there was some astronomical thing of like hours and hours a day for weeks just mixing clay. Right. And I think oh, about God. that. Yeah. That this guy is in this hot room with this noisy machine taking pounds and pounds of clay and running them through and taking the hot clay back out and squishing together and running it through and, and doing it. And it's not entirely mindless because you have to be very carefully, you know, color matching things like it's an art, you know, it's a craft more than a science. Mm-hmm. And then I think don't waste that guy's time by coming up with a story that's just okay. Yeah. Or, or that, that could be better. Like spend a little time ahead of time to make sure that you have all the magic and whimsy and cleverness of a fantastic Mr. Fox before you did, before you, take all this time to do this. And Isle of Dogs, it was a quirky and interesting movie and it had its moments, but it could have been tightened up a little. Mm-hmm. Well, and, the, the and story, it, the story has a lot of problems. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it just didn't seem, it was, it seemed like it could use a few more passes before you take this huge team of incredibly talented people and have them realize your vision. Make sure your vision is worth realizing. Well, I mean, I'll make it even simpler because I'm a dumb guy, which is that like, you know, don't have the tent pole, like three, four, five things that you need to figure out by act three. Don't have those five things be something I could have guessed in the first five minutes. That's really disappointing. That It's a bummer to go like, oh, so that's why it happened. Well, kind of hope that wasn't why this happened because that's really lame and implausible. And yeah, or even just, just as, <laughs> even just as simple as like, like the whole reason. I mean, like the, the whole reason that the dogs were sent to the island, you go like, oh, okay. Like I, could have guessed that and that that isn't that interesting yeah but i think more more importantly like i was just comparing to fantastic mr fox which is it's so similar to you know same person behind it same animation style uh same kind of quirky sensibilities but the characters like they're characters that from the trailer i think oh that's going to be an interesting kind of wes anderson style character and none of them were given enough from the dogs to the people given enough moments to express their unique character traits there was yeah, a few was of them here and there there was some more character in like whatever jimmy squirrel's moving company <laughs> than some of the ongoing characters you know in this right movie. like they, you got them you got them on screen for all this time and they're just mostly just mechanically moving the plot along and not not developing and not not emoting and not being interesting and not revealing their characteristics and not learning and growing it's just you know, yeah, it just it's it doesn't it doesn't fare well against Fantastic Mr. Fox. Let's say. That said, there are definitely moments and interesting things and I things to think about. about it. It. I'm telling you, I keep thinking about Tracy. Like I, 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 I think it's it really it's it, the ratio of I liked it in the theater to it stuck to my ribs is just off the charts. Where there were points when I was like, this is just not even a good use of my time. To like now, even like a couple days later, and especially in the time since then, I've just I still keep thinking about it a lot. 
And I think about little lines and I think about the way the dog looked at the camera and stuff. And, you know, yeah, very, they're getting those dogs to stare, you know, dead center in frame because it's Wes Anderson staring yeah. into the camera. But the, then you like the way they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. That, that, that silly conversational talk over each other style. I thought that I, I could have used a George Clooney as one of those voices. I'll tell you that. Oh, I thought I love Jeff Goldblum. He's all right. You heard there's a rumor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just, I mean, just need to be punched up. That's what I'm saying. We're tightened up and punched up. I can't say much without spoiling it, but I mean, I, 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 there's a thing I do not like to do with my kid that I used to do when she was younger that I avoid now. See, I can't even say this. It's a spoiler, but, um, you know, things go okay by the end of the movie, by and large. I tell her, tell her it's going to be okay. Yep. Yep. Which I don't like doing because I think that's cheap and lame mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unless you know unless it's something that, that they have to yeah, suffer don't comfort through. your child well you know it's just that you know if i i deny her that feeling like if when you're watching if you're watching the empire strikes back there's some part of you that goes i bet han's gonna be okay but then there's this other part of me that's really worried about what happens to han like he's in a pretty bad place right now even if he survives this he's not in a good place and like for somebody at the end of that so now i'm spoiling this but you know what i'm saying like and but but the and again I, I I'm sensitive to spoilers but like yeah, a little too cheery at the end a little like wow that pff, sure went back to being okay weirdly fast yeah and then the kids you know I mean anyways they should make dolls of this they made a series a limited edition of a hundred dolls of Atari and some of the dogs they have not made a Tracy yet they should make a mass market Tracy because my daughter would love to have it even though she hasn't seen the movie. It doesn't matter. There's a whole New York Times article about this and how kids get into Star Wars, even though they've never seen Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Um, but, you know, we can also just talk about how awfully good, you know, in the book, it's so funny because we got the, I mean, she'd read, I think we'd read Matilda and maybe Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but um, I don't think we got Mr. Fox until after we'd seen the movie. And I, I'd never read it. And I was shocked that, like how much of the movie is like so far beyond what's in the books. Right? I mean, I think in the book, it stops at him getting his tail shot off, right? I've never read the books. I have no idea. Like, the whole brilliance of, like, the, the caves and the, like, the digging and the, and just Bean's whole character and his drive and the, the whole, like, the supermarket. Like, oh, my God. And at the end, when they're drinking from the ju- juice boxes and the, the beautiful detail of how, like, uh, Ash, right? How Ash has, like, a juice stain around his mouth. It's just magnifique. Mm. That's a better movie. Everyone should go out and... Uh... They say. <laughs> they say that all... Fo- How is the line they say that foxes are allergic to linoleum? Oh, I gotta find the line. It's close. Uh, and yet it's cool to the paw. Is that it? They say all foxes are slightly allergic to linoleum. But it's cool to the paw. Try it. They say my tail needs to be dry cleaned twice a month. But now it's fully detachable, see? They say our tree may never grow back, but one day something will. Yes, these crackles are made of synthetic goose, and these giblets come from artificial squab, and even these apples look fake. But at least they've got stars on them. Oh, come on! <laughs> That's some writing! That's writing! I guess my point is, we'll eat tonight, we'll eat together, and even in this not particularly flattering light, you are without a doubt the five and a half most wonderful wild animals I've ever met in my life. Come on! That's so good! It's a good Charisma. Movie. Delivery, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like the Tari. Sure, I, I like the fact that they Spotsu. all spoke in Japanese. Yeah, but that falls apart. The whole thing, he's got the cute little... Ugh. 
I know, it all falls got apart the, the, utterly the, the falls apart. The conceits of the translators and everything else. Well, that even that, I was okay with that. But then there was all kinds of stuff. It's like, okay, but the dogs speak English? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you made a card dog, about it. It's your them. rules. It's your movie. We speak dog. They're speaking dog, but we understand them because it's from a dog's perspective. Yeah, that well, sense. there's no car that's going to paper over all of that. <laughs> Not enough hot towels and free peanuts in the world. <sighs> Devouring Essence, episode number eight. Greg Pierce, if you ever listen to this, uh, Devouring Essence uh, number eight is where you, uh, August 27, 2015, for the main topic, John educates Merlin about the first person shooter game, Destiny. Can you believe that? That was that long ago. I, I feel like I didn't even scratch the surface. We've come so far since then. Yeah. 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 We're on Destiny 2 now. Do you know we're on 2? Hmm. Is that like Splatoon? Splatoon 2. They're on 2 for Splatoon 2. 2. Yeah, but it's more 2 than Splatoon 2. More 2 This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Linode. You can learn more about Linode right now by visiting linode.com slash diffs. With Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at $5 a month. And you'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Whether you're just getting started with your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode is the right choice for you. Linode offers the fastest hardware and network with fantastic customer support behind it all. And it's never been easier to launch a Linode cloud server. Linode guarantees 99.9% uptime for server availability. And once your server is up, they keep it that way. And Linode offers additional storage too. Block storage is now out of beta and is available in Fremont and Newark. And Linode plan to expand their storage, their block storage, to all data centers by June. Linode is great for tasks like hosting large databases, running a mail server, operating a VPN, running Docker containers, hosting a private Git server, and so much more. And you know what? Linode are hiring right now. So if that interests you, stop on over at linode.com slash careers. Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for only $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. As a listener of this program, if you sign up at linode.com slash diffs, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 toward any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that is four free months. And with the seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go right now to linode.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, to learn more. You sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or use the promo code diffs2018 at checkout. Our thanks to Linode for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I'm tired, John. I have too many things. Um, by tomorrow night, I will have recorded six podcasts in three days, which is too much podcast. That is, that is too much. You know, you, are you with me on that, that that's too much podcast, well, including two with John Roderick, one with you, one, one with Dan, one with you by Friday and one with uh, Jason and David Sparks. That's too many podcasts. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how many would be too much if. I didn't have a regular job that I went to because I always that's no, I always I'm sensitive. I'm sensitive to that. Right, but like that's 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 my gauge. Like for me, uh, five a week is like that's too much. But that's like one a day, mm-hmm. and it's because I'm spending all day at work, coming home, doing stuff, and then I have to do that. But if I didn't have to go to work, I'm not sure I'd be able to. Oh, now you've got all this extra time. Now you'd be able to do like you know seven a day. I don't think I would. I think mm. maybe. Maybe wanna, two a day I'm gonna would put be a, my put a instead of one a day. fat double dagger cross on that. Uh, shows you have to prep for. Shows you have to do things for. Shows you have to edit. Shows where you have to explain to people how to send files. 
Mm, yeah, where you have no, to troubleshoot, get them to open the audio MIDI setup app. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's for the good. After Dark. That's just for you and me. But that's the thing is like it's, you know, it does seem silly. And I, I sometimes feel exasperated because I'm like, mm, I swear I do work. <laughs> it's not as hard as being, you know, in a coal it mine take, or It takes something. a lot out of you. It, it takes a lot the- out of you. It really does. I need to be quiet and alone after I do this. Isn't that strange? Mm-hmm. And I was, saying that, I was saying to my kid today, I was like, she's rolling her eyes. And I was like, well, it's like having to do like six miniature performances in three days, which all of you people out there who don't like doing public speaking, ask yourself about doing six. Anyways, very unsympathetic. Just like you those people who do uh, Broadway shows do eight a week. They're oh also my God. Like that lady, <laughs> like that lady in that one, the, the one that's telling you she's not leaving. Woo. Is that Jennifer Hudson? The other one. No. Yes. Wait, who's? Wait, I know That's this. what you were bringing up recently. Jennifer some, Hudson some. is, oh, wow. God, you listen to my shows. That's so weird. Jennifer Hudson is the one in the, I think, the Jamie Foxx version, and she's amazing. I'm thinking of, yes, I am thinking of, uh, what's the name of that show? Uh, Dream Girls. Has, has uh, Paul and Storm ever made you watch this video? Of the Lady in the Dream Girls? No, Dream. I'm not. I'm, that's... This conversation oh, between you and them, not me. Oh, I just, I'm an observer. I am telling you. Jennifer Holiday, 1982, putting it in notes. That is very low quality VHS. I probably made you watch it because it's amazing. It's one of those things. It's like, you know how sometimes you like agree that it's okay to like sports because it's like amazing what a person's body does. Don't you do that? Mm-hmm. You do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm doing that here. I'm doing that with Jennifer Holiday, going like you don't, you don't have to convince me that good singing I? is good. Okay, I believe we'll it. Uh, sp- speaking of good singing is good, <laughs> there was a confluence of events, probably triggered, started by one of your tweets. Oh God, that led me. Were you the one who tweeted the uh, Diner Lobster sketch? That was one of them. Yeah, that was me. Right, and so that's the lame is yep. thing, which I didn't know when I John, watched. John it Mulaney was, was had been pitching that since 2010, and they're always like, "No, there's no way we're doing that sketch." Yeah, I saw the the the. Uh, Late night TV thing. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I went I, I'm, I'm not, a big fan of his. I, I like his comedy a lot, a lot, a lot. And I didn't know it was Les Mis thing, so I was delighted to find that out. And then, what was it? There was some other Les Mis thing that also happened, like, a day later. So I feel like I, it was a, a brief resurgence of Les Mis in my life. No kidding. Like a like a, a public thing or a TV thing? No, something that someone sent me a video that, it, that I didn't know was Les Mis related, and all of a sudden people started, you know, I, I think maybe it's like uh, seven degrees separated from Diner Lobster. Coming okay. around to other other things where people just start singing Les Mis stuff. There's lots of Les Mis like flash mob things. There's a there's a oh you know what it was I know what it was it was that family probably the family in like Utah. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that yeah. something? Yeah, that was really something. I love the little kids in the video. <laughs> the third time I watched it, I just watched it for the kids and their reactions. Yeah, I think I I tweeted on that one that the uh, the four. Uh, in-law, you know, someone who married into that family but oh, can't we, sing. We did He's talk about this, how it yeah. sucked to be merely very talented in that family, mm-hmm. rather than like professional grade good. Or not even, just like everyone is going to have all this fun together, but that you can't carry a tune at all, so you just have to well, like... They all, they all comported themselves fine, but one of the guys who was, was the Angel Russ? One of the guys over on the left, he was like, he was good. Like, if he was singing a karaoke, you'd be really impressed, but everybody else was just like... Like off Broadway quality. Yeah, it's too too much talent. One too much talent. Sickening. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you like the comedy of John Mulaney? 
Uh, I don't think I could have picked him out of a lineup until I saw Diner Lobster. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I know that guy. I you see him on SNL. You his craft. Uh, he's very funny and very precise and very polished. He's like a he's like a scientific comic. He's very funny, but like he is astonishingly polished and accomplished. And like the way he like uses a stage and like you just have never anything but utter confidence in like every cubic inch of what he's doing. His um, what's it called Kid Gorgeous? I think on Netflix is good. All of his specials are good. I'm not going to give you any more homework. I've given you enough homework. Yeah, I also tend tend not to watch stand. I know comedy's not your thing. You don't like to laugh. You like chili. The Alpha could not love. Oh God, how far? Oh, it's only an hour in. How much more do we have to do? Oh my God, I'm exhausted. We gotta we gotta get to your old man topic. Ugh. All right. You were so excited about this topic. You were like, I got to add this. I want to talk about this. And you added a bunch of sub bullet That's points. That's afternoon, Merlin. That After, afternoon, it. Merlin has posies in his pocket. Like mm-hmm. nighttime, Merlin is like, I got to get up and do a, a recording in the morning and got to get up to one of my drop off mornings. I got I to gotta brush long hair. Mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. stuff I got to do in the morning. Well, do you, do you really want to bail on this one? No, I no, have no, a, no, 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 no. Are you kidding me? I'm here for this. This is everything right now. Mm-hmm. Skip this back up. Um, Shall I start off? Yes, because this is your this is your show. Because I'm not I'm yeah. not entirely sure where you're going with this. Um, I have um amongst my more recent tranche of friends are some people that are a good deal younger than me. Uh, in particular, I will point here to my co-hosts on the Dubai Friday show. Um, Max is weird enough, but but Alex is really her own person. Alex is very much she's got her own thing going on. Wouldn't you agree? She got something going on, that's yeah. for sure. Um, Alex, uh, and, and I'm going to make this a larger point in a minute. I'm not here to uh, to drag her, as the millenniums say, but uh, Alex gets really, really involved in things that I, I personally sometimes have difficulty. I have difficulty understanding how she got so involved in it, and then further to that, I, I further don't understand how she got so sort of emotional about it, and then. I'm really struck by how much she's willing to talk about it publicly in a way that makes people make fun of her, all of which astonishes and amazes me. Uh, And I just was thinking about that. And it particularly came up because we had a challenge on the Dubai Friday show to, it was the easiest challenge ever. It was just to go buy a bag and talk about the bag. But like, I've seen this, this agita that she goes through, that Max goes through, that I see a lot of people go through with like backpacks. I don't think it's just them. It's something where like, I mean, it's a backpack. I bought a backpack 10 years ago uh, it was replaced by an exact second duplicate version of that backpack three or four years ago. I have a backpack and I really, really, really don't think about it. Uh, now you're going to have to tell me when, when all the cards are on the table, who's the weirdo here, but like Alex in particular, she seems genuinely bent out of shape or, uh, you know, like in Buddhism, she's the wobbly wheel. She just can't quite even with backpacks and they make her mad because they do this, but they don't do that. And this one's pokey. And what I will tell you is I think she legitimately, I don't think it's totally a performance. I think she genuinely cares a lot about backpacks and you see this in other places. Let's extend this a lot further and genericize it a little bit. Uh, people in their twenties in urban clusters care a lot more about the quality and sourcing provenance and mouthfeel of food than I ever did in my whole life. You've got things like cocktail culture. You've got things like, you know, just people who are very specific about bourbon. You've got Marco. Look, oh, Jesus, we've got to talk about Marco. I mean, he's a little older than them, but look at Marco with his coffee and his headphones and his everything. 
And I don't know. I was just wondering about this. So what did I say to you in text? I said, I said something like, I have a very young and poorly thought out theory about uh, millennials wanting fewer and nicer things and sweating small differences in a way that my generation doesn't or didn't, or I might even add can't. They often have a kind of canniness and taste about seemingly non-existent differences you used to only see in like craftspeople. Uh, and the super rich, craftspeople, people who could look at a chair, people who were like, you know, Nick Offerman, who could tell you what each component of the chair was, who who probably made it from about when, right, on that one end, or super rich people who could get into a Veblen good and say it actually legitimately matters to me that this Tesla that's slightly different is available with these wheels, right? But now it seems like that, I don't know if I'm seeing, you can, I'm, this is a very broad topic, I apologize. I, just, I guess I just feel like people who are younger than I by a generation seem much more careful and canny about not wanting to have all the things, but the things they do have become like this ongoing quest to find the best, even if it's not the most costly or expensive, they want the best of this that is available to them. And they care a lot about the object, but they also care a lot about the decision-making process and showing that work as part of the acquisition of their product. It's not enough to just go and buy the most costly one. You also need to be able to talk about why you got that particular bourbon, why you got that particular pour-over technique, like why you chose those particular, that particular amp for your headphone speakers. And I just wondered if that's, if that's a thing you'd want to talk about. If you've noticed, do you see a generational difference in how people select the things they choose to have in their life and the degree of detail that they go into in deciding not just purchasing, but like what to even be into and then invite into their life? As a person who's closer to your age than I am to those people's age, and who also has spent a large amount of time on podcasts and outside podcasts obsessing over toasters, of all things. I'm not entirely sure this is a generational thing at all. And I also think the sample is polluted by the fact that it's a lot of sort of tech nerd or tech nerd adjacent people who tend to be... I can't believe this, I'm bringing up with this up with you. This is next to Marco. You're probably the worst person I could have brought this up with. Right. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if... Uh, outside of our circle of neurotic, obsessive tech nerd people, that this tapers off. And even, you know, even allowing for generational things, that if you were to look to millennials as a whole, as opposed to the tech nerd millennials that we know, (laughs) that it wouldn't seem so severe. That, And the reason I think that's the case is I look at people out in the world, millennials or otherwise, and you see them, you know, like, to give an example, something that tech nerds care about that regular people seem not to is the condition of their phone. People use crack phones. People have awful cases on their phones. People, like, have, mm-hmm. you know, essentially treat their phone like the appliance that it is and not like this treasured little Tamagotchi uh, beautiful possession that they have to have in this just so case with their, you know, everyday I mean, carry. Let and all alone how other. their icons are arranged on the home screen. Yeah, no, no, no color coded things, no carefully arranged background, no curation of just the applications that express themselves to the world. It's just like a whatever, right? And we all have things that are like we're like that. With in fact, most tech podcasts are are would not work if it wasn't for people being obsessed with just getting something about their computing life just so and continuing to pursue it despite the fact that they have a perfectly viable solution to this particular problem being interested in the idea that there there could be a better solution to that problem now i think what you're touching on here is that 
sometimes it seems like, and I'm not sure if this is what's really happening, but sometimes it seems like that that uh, that notion, that uh, that instinct, metastasizes, and no part of a person's life is left untouched. It's like, okay, so you're obsessed with your phone. You're obsessed with your computer. You're mm-hmm. obsessed with your drinks. You're obsessed with your food. You're obsessed with your bag. You're obsessed with your car. You're obsessed with your house. And it just seems like, is there any aspect of your life that isn't subject to this kind of obsessive attention? And I think that the the example of the super rich is not great because the caricature of the super rich is that they they put up a front like that, but they don't actually know anything about their things. Whereas the problem we're seeing is people yeah, who are gaining I have, I have actual knowledge that. Yeah, about I have clarification like, on that. Yeah. Yeah, like actually, you know, it is not just posing of like, I'm told that this is the best or whatever. They need to know. They need to say, like, what if I, you know, what if I roasted my own beans? What if I grew my own beans and then roasted them? What if I moved to Colombia? I think, think, when I say, and this is just a broad, broad, broad overcharacterization, but like, I think about somebody like like my family, like the kinds of bullets that they would want ticked off in buying an automobile. Is it American? Is it affordable? Is it maintainable? And yeah, hopefully, does it look good? But like those are the kind of things they would look at first. Whereas also like a a, a a wealthy person has I think wealthy people have for a long time had a much better bead on personal brand than most just normal people do today. Everybody's got some sense of personal brand. So the thing is, I mean, and I think if there's anything to parody, I mean, to the point of, you know, um, you know, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh until you've you've made a cliche, right? One parody of rich people is the emperor has no clothes kind of thing where, oh, I just learned about Birkin bags and now I have to have a Birkin bag. And it may, it is kind of a Veblen good in that sense of like, well, I'm this mainly exists to show that I got something other people can't have. And all I need to know is that this is very high quality, but mainly I really need to know that it's just not available to other people. And maybe I'm drawing too sharp a distinction. I would put that up against people who care a lot about which wooden pencil they use. And I'm not making fun. I'm the same way. I mean, I, I'm very picky about the pencils I use, not as much as some people. But I'm just saying that there, there are people, though, who bring that kind of care to the decision making, right? It's not that sexy to go, well, this is the second highest rated one in Consumer Reports. Like, that's not sexy. It's not useful. It would make people roll their eyes. Whereas I feel like there's more and more of a sense of like, I need part of my having this is me having a story about it, a story about what I didn't take, what, what I decided not to do. And then you get into conversations with other people who are into that kind of thing and you can go back and forth. Oh yeah, I tried that one and I wasn't really into that one. Or I sent, I tried it and I sent that one back. Seems to be a big part of this is yes, I not only have learned about this, but I've tried all of these and this is where this is for right now. And, but I have, there's a story to this being in my life where like, not a defense exactly, but a way of saying like, this earned a place in my life. But the only way this thing earned a place in my life was this set of trials that I put all the other objects through. And this is the best one so far. I think that is different from my grandparents where boy, they would just have that same dishwasher until it just cracked and broke in half. Like it's some, like I said, I think that some part of it is the type of person and the type of personality that is susceptible let's say, to this type of obsession. And, and I think a lot of the a lot of the things these people do for a living, including podcasting about stuff, requires that in, in a particular domain because you don't want to hear a podcast, a uh, tech podcast for people who are just like, yeah, I got a computer, it's fine. Like, that's not doesn't, doesn't make for a good tech podcast. Likewise, you wouldn't want to hear a pen podcast for people who are like, oh, I got this, this Bic pen I found at a gas station, it's fine. Yeah, still, like, still using the Bic. 
Right. What, what, you know, what would you What would you have to talk about? Yeah, yeah, that's a good right? point. But but I think the metastasizing part and, and is, there are people. Is, there are people who will manufacture. God bless them, as we say in the South. Um, bless their hearts. There are people who will manufacture a huge amount of agita and interest about what all, what most people could look at and say like is like the, just the degree of speculation regarding speculation about the speculation regarding an iPhone during the slow news times of year. And you can gin that up into something that's really interesting. But with that said. I know every single one of my friends obsesses about some of this stuff. And if they didn't, they wouldn't be as interesting. Right. But the, the, the thing is, when it stops being a thing that it seems like is an interest of yours, and it starts being a thing that you are subjected to, that it starts being an affliction, right? And I think part of the reason it seems like an affliction, especially, you know, observing from, from uh, some remove, is that it start, you start to see it in areas where you, you couldn't imagine it applying. Imagining that people might be obsessed with their phones or technology, you know, is not that ridiculous. But when you start getting into and and maybe food is, is a foodie, you know, thing. But and then coffee is kind of a cliche. But then you start getting into like, OK, your socks, pencils, uh, notepads, bags, underwear. Right. Uh, like what is there a limit or is it literally everything in your life has to be like then And part, part of the personality trait, I think, is. Like optimizers, uh, because the the uh, the the key insight here, again, contrasting to to the the rich, is that the, the insight is that the best thing for you is often not just the most expensive or most popular thing. That there there are many that things in that, your life that, that are that would be gauche. That yeah, well, there are many things in your life that are suboptimal, and that. If you simply get the most expensive one or the most popular one, chances are very good that you that is not the optimal solution. And if you you know if somehow you would know that you could spend less money but be more satisfied by expending time and energy and exchanging knowledge, that's that's optimizing, right? And getting back to uh, what we touched on last week in terms of how privilege factors into this in the in the little the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right above self actualization is. Uh, you know, getting exactly the right dishwasher. That's right above self-actualization, that <laughs> tiny tip on the, the right. Because you have to have so much else taken care of and sort of, you know, locked down that you can expend huge amounts of mental energy and time and effort worrying about, is this the right backpack for me? Is there a better backpack? This thing about this backpack is bothering me. If I got mm-hmm. a different backpack, how much better would my life be percentage-wise? This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by RxBar. You can learn more about RxBar right now by visiting rxbar.com diffs. The folks at RxBar could not find a protein bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients and preservatives, so they decided to make one. You're welcome. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with 100% whole ingredients. They want to be transparent and upfront with their customers, which is why they label the core ingredients on the front of the package. Along with all the ingredients that make up texture and taste on the back, and the team at RX Bar found creating a bar made from real whole food ingredients tastes better than anything out there. They didn't just need fillers, additives, and all that other stuff. They don't want it. No, leave it. Don't need it. No, thank you. RX Bar's core ingredients do all of the talking. It's simply like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds, but it is actually delicious. Real food ingredients actually taste really good. You can taste the cacao. The cacao. 
the real fruit and the spices. Cacao. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free. Oh, so many things RX bars are good for. You can have breakfast on the go, snacks at the office, travel, hiking before or after you work out. I'm a huge fan of RX bars. I keep a stack of them here on my desk. I like the uh, the, the the salty chocolate one. I'm a big fan of that. And uh, if I ever want to just like not go like have some kind of stupid in-between meal fake lunch, I'll have me an RX bar and boy, is it ever good. The wonderful people over at RX bar have a special offer for the listeners of Reconcilable Differences. For 25% off your first order, you just go and visit rxbar.com slash diffs and enter the promo code diffs at checkout. That's D-I-F-F-S, rxbar.com slash diffs, promo code diffs for 25% off. Our thanks to RxBar for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Does that come out of disappointment with ones that haven't worked out before or can it be someplace else? Like where does that, where does that uncomfortableness about, cause there are a lot of people who are like, well, you know, this is the cheapest one they had at the dollar store and it's fine. And they'll, they won't care. And maybe they're not dumb. They might not be completely tasteless. They just, they're fine with that bick in this case. But like, what, are, what, what do you think brings people to that uneasiness about like, is this the right, uh, did I, the roast and method of coffee? Like, how do you arrive at that? And, and why, would you, why would you continue to let that be a thing for you? Do you have any choice in that? Like, how does that end up being an enduring thing? So for, in most cases, I think like they're the legitimate interests, like I'm into coffee. So this is the thing that I'm going to get into. I'm into, you know, pens, whatever it is. Like it's, it's like a hobby and interest. And and that's the thing you're obsessed with. And, and uh, it seems from, from the outside and from a distance very often that there appears to be no limit because they hit mundane things that we can't imagine being interested in. Mm-hmm. But you have to actually explore. Like this is this would be a good topic for you to bring up with your with your uh, millennial co-hosts on that other podcast. Uh, now I know you don't have topics; you have challenges. But what are the things in their lives that they treat the way we treat our backpacks? As in, I've got one. It's okay. I don't spend any time thinking about it. Or thinking about how there might be a better one, right? Uh, and it, if pressed, uh, you know, when backpacks came up on on ATP, I can tell you what I like and dislike about my backpack and why I'm generally satisfied with it. Like I have detailed thoughts on it, but until that topic came up, I can tell you that I have not thought about my backpack in any capacity for a really long time, right? Uh, right. And there are many things in my life that are like that, and I'm sure there are many things in everybody's life that are like that. What are the things? That you don't care about. Yeah, and yeah. We, and I, we and don't I, talk about those on podcasts, but they exist. Right. And hearing about those would probably make you feel better about people not worrying that they're, you know, sitting there uh, spending, you know, three weeks researching the best kind of socks for them. And just to be clear, I, I, I'm, I, this is that comes out of, I think, a genuine sense of curiosity. It, it partly arises out of like, wow, my friends are weird. But I am not looking to problematize this or turn it into some kind of an affliction. It's just I, I'm wondering about the parts of this that I'm noticing and what it says about them and about me and about about other people because the things because first of all the things one chooses or allows to become a kind of obsession in their life can also be part of their story their brand if you like you call it whatever you want but like you know the thing is uh how many people out there care that much about backpacks and aren't talking about it because they maybe think that would be weird and is actually an affliction that they don't want to share with the world but the I guess part of, I don't know, part of what interests me, though, is like, I mean, uh, this started out the different kind of story I was going to assign myself on this. Is this something that is, 
you hear people say in medium posts and other places that uh, the millennial, whatever you want to call that, that con, con sort of cohort, cohort, cohort of people are people who prefer to have the money that they do have that's left over at the end of the month. As little as that might be, they like to spend on experiences rather than, strictly speaking, material goods. You've heard this said, right? I've heard it, but I put about as much stock in it as I do in all the complaints about the kids these days, which is to say, you don't not think, much. I think that's kind of a generous thing to say. I know, but I like the the. But you think it comes uh, the from the same place? The accepted of just wisdom guessing? about the the young generation always strikes me as BS. Not least because you're measuring it against what you think is normal for your age. It, it just like it is. It is such a manifestation of the messenger and has nothing to do with the the object of the message. Like it's that's just, true. That's true. I can't. I, and good and bad. It's not as if I'm saying all the good is 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 true and all the bad is false. It just it, like I can't hear that without thinking the person who wrote this wishes they had fewer things and better experiences. The person who wrote this wishes they were 20. Like, that's all I see. Because I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's a whole separate topic. Well, I mean, at, at the very least, it's, it's off, it, it does often seem, I don't know if it's exactly that, but I think that the thing that is clear almost all of the time is that, um, you know, somebody's wrong on the internet, basically. That there, there, are, there are people out there that are doing a thing I don't understand or that I was scared to do in some cases, and, you know, in some cases, it, it, it's a case of it can be regret, I think, uh, even if it, people don't realize that it's that. But, you know, just like you, you probably had mixed feelings about that guy who still had his chair for a while. Like, on the one hand, you're glad that there's a freedom fighter out there fighting for his seating. But then on the other side of it, you're also kind of like, wow, how come he got a chair and I didn't? I, like, I how- always wonder, with the generational thing, I always wonder how boomers managed to forget uh, their mistreatment when they were hippies. Like, they man- they managed to set that aside or compartmentalize it in such a way that they, you know, it says it was such a defining characteristic of like their, their counterculture, but it was like the, the first big counterculture. And yet they can move on to adulthood and middle age and, and beyond and not remember that they used to be the generation that needed to cut its hair and wore funny clothes oh, and the, or whatever. Just, just making like, you know, the kinds of broad things that people would say about hippies like just equally broad, silly, just very partially informed reckons about people who are that same age now, right? And this not, not coming me, from the, any kind of an insight or any kind of a sympathy, really. But yeah, that's that's hard to watch. And the the reason I, I wonder about that is because I it's still fresh to me being a Gen X person about all the crap that was said about us, right? Like it's still. I, I don't think I'm, that's ever going to leave me. And anytime I get a feeling like about about some upcoming generation or thing that people are doing or whatever, I have right there, top of mind, hey, remember when video games were going to turn you all into serial killers and Dungeons and Dragons was going to turn you all into Satanists and like, all you know, all the things we talk about the show. Like, it's yeah. fresh for me. I don't forget it. I say it, it keeps me from thinking, oh, the millennials, like they're, you know, whatever bad thing you want to ascribe to them or any other, like, it stops me from going down there. And yet some people of the older generations seem to have forgotten that and, uh, or dismissed it and, or believe the, believe the hype retroactively about, uh, you know, how bad hippies actually were. And they're glad they left it behind or whatever. Just, it doesn't, doesn't track for me. So I'm not, I, I can't, can't go in, uh, for that, but I, 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 I do go in for, least, it's good to at least be skeptical about it for sure. Yeah. But, but, more specifically about our group of things that's why i like to think of it more as a 
a common pattern of neuroses rather than a generational mm-hmm. divide. And it's a question of, you know, what what a glimpse into these people's lives are you getting when they're on on a podcast talking about things that they're neurotic about? Are they neurotic about too many things? And by the way, the other angle on the, you know, I was putting the, uh, do I have the right backpack for me at the top of uh, Maslow's hierarchy, right? The other option, which, you, you know, you can't know from a distance is, Actually, uh, things that they are actually worried about things much lower on the pyramid. And this backpack obsession is a distraction, right? To try to distract them from the fact that other things in their life are have real problems right now. And they they cannot think about it for five minutes if they spend that time researching backpacks on the Internet. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the other potential. Well, but like, I mean, it's also I mean, <sighs> I mean, there's, boy, there's so many cliches in this. I don't even want to scratch the surface. But in any number of things you could look at from the past 60, 80, 100 years, um, somebody of modest means, uh, let's just say, might have one thing that's like their showcase item. So maybe that could be one fancy suit you had in the 19-teens. Maybe that was your car in Harlem. Or like, or maybe that was your truck in Mississippi or whatever cliche you want to throw at this. But there's something that is the thing that you keep nice Right. And like the, the thing that is, um, you know what I mean? Sort of this exalted object in your life. Or to, to flip it from that, what is the thing that you don't keep nice? And I, I, one of the things, fun things you can do when listening to podcasts is imagine what the people you're listening to, what is their house like? Right. What's their house actually like? Because houses for, for, uh, I guess maybe when we were growing up or our parents' generation, there was tremendous social pressure to keep your house nice within certain within certain social circles mm-hmm. right i mean that still exists today with the, you know all this you never knew if john kennedy about. or the pope was going to come by right or even just today of like when you have company over that's the time you clean your house it's a common joke it doesn't go away like that that thing exists but the the ability to care less about your house seemed not available if you were going to be in certain social strata if you wanted to be in the middle class there's some minimum amount of caring for your, for the place that you live that you had to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And well, if think I had to of, look yeah, for think about a ge- your yard, like that was at least in Florida, that was a, a real yard, big yeah, deal. But, yeah. I, but if I, if I had to look for a generational divide, partially perhaps related to the dif- increasing difficulty of home ownership, I would say that, I mean, maybe it's a compensation type thing, but like, I think I know more people now whose things who have nice things that are well cared for in a less nice house that is not as well cared for myself included because mm-hmm. my house is <laughs> you're hard on your house is a pile of crap, but I have some nice things in it. Mm-hmm. And that maybe because it's, it's, it actually is very difficult and extremely costly to maintain a nice house. But if you can get just the right backpack and a really nice notebook and, uh, one or two nice items of clothing mm-hmm. that can make you feel like you have some degree of control, even though your house is really, really, really old and growing mold and everything is a mess and your spouse is a hoarder. And just like, it's a, you know what I mean? Like I do. Yeah. And I, and I think, because I think about, I think about my house, I think about the houses of people I know. And I think none of my friends' houses growing up were like this. Like all of those families expended more time and energy on the house and had, fewer nice things than we have like you'll mm-hmm. see you know my 
extremely you see that with, you see that with people TV. who are in like federal penitentiaries where their cell is spotless because that's part of who they are is that like my hair always looks good my clothes look good and my cell is spotless and they excel in that situation where anybody else would go oh, this is a dungeon they go yeah but it's the cleanest dungeon in this whole place so that's that's another question of you know for for your Dubai Friday host specifically what things in your life that you don't do you not care about and what is the contrast between the state of your home and the the expense and quality of your belongings? I think the harder question, and I'm only going to provoke people with this answer. Um, I think the harder question is the difference between what you have no opinion about versus what you don't care about, kind of. Because like the, a big part of being on brand today is knowing what you care a lot about. I would argue that, or, you know, maybe one way to say what you love, but I don't think that's, I don't think, I think it's different. Like, I care a lot about this thing. Oh boy, I need you to know, I really, really don't care about this thing. See also Marco, where it becomes a big part of of your deal to let people know what you just, oh, do I need to have a TV to understand what this is? Like, like, sorry, I've never seen network TV. That becomes part of your thing. You become like, I don't have a TV guy. We're like, it's not, it is not the unintentional absence of an electrical appliance. It's a very deliberate decision to not have that and then to let everybody know about it, right? I think the more difficult thing is what kind of stuff do you just not give much thought to? That's a, that's, that's a tougher question to me, right? So, I mean, like there's some kinds of things where I realize, like, as we've said so many times, I care intensely. I care, I care really intensely about this corner of the microwave. I don't care anything about the rest of the microwave because there's a thing that I always put there, right? Sort of like you and your phone on the mantle. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's really mental how there's some surfaces in the house where I'm like, look, I don't care about any other. There's like six surfaces of this entire house that I care about. Please don't put stuff there. Please don't disturb it. So, but the thing is though, truth is that's a strong opinion. That's a very strong opinion about something I care about. I don't like so then how would I even be, how would I even learn to identify the stuff I, I have like zero opinion about, null opinion about? That's, I think, a harder question to answer because part of what I care about and what I don't care about becomes part of my, my story or my brand. For me, because I'm, I'm very much of the obsessive type about everything. Like I'm, I, I'm trying to categorize things for the things I, trying to find the things like dark matter you're talking about, the things that you don't know you don't care about because you don't care about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. This is we kind of have this topic sitting here for a long time. I put in a while back, which is things that only you notice was one, and preparation was another. But the thread through both of these, what are the kinds of things that you notice and prepare for way beyond any reasonable amount? What are the kinds of things? Can you even identify the things that you don't notice and don't prepare for, and wouldn't notice there if there was any difference? I think it's a really challenging question. I was trying to think of an example of a thing that I don't care about, but I realized that everything I can think of is a thing that I actually do care about. And they, the two buckets that I put them into are getting back to the optimizers are things that I want to pursue op- optimization on things that I think can be improved. To give you an example, I care a lot about my television and also I a hundred percent believe that it can be improved. So I'm constantly on the lookout for the next better TV and everything associated with TV. Cause that's a hobby of mine and I'm very into it. And Regardless of the thing that I TV that I have, which is perfectly fine and satisfies me, and I spend a long time researching and so on and so forth, I'm always looking for the next one. Obviously, computers and and lots of other things. True for it, right? Then I was thinking of something. What's what's the opposite of what's the thing that you quote unquote don't care about? And in my example I was going to throw out there was silverware. We have forks and knives and spoons, right? And I'm like, oh, you don't care about that, do you? And I, and my answer to myself was no, actually. I care a lot about silverware, a tremendous amount about silverware, <laughs> but it just so happens that I found a set of silverware that 
satisfies me in the same way that my television satisfies me. But the unlike television, I spend no energy trying to eke out that next one or two percent of satisfaction from my silverware. Like if I never got new silverware for my entire life, I would be fine because the set of silverware we have mm-hmm. is it perfect? No, but it's fine. And I'm satisfied with the silverware because I think there are lots of silverware that I don't like at all. I go to a friend's house and I say, I could never use this fork. I, I can't, how can you have these kind of spoons in the house? Like I care about the silverware a lot because that's the kind of person that I am. There is nothing below that level of me being able to tell you what's wrong about it, right? Uh-huh. But there are things that I do not pursue the optimization of. There may also be the dark matter of things that I don't even give pay any mind to. And you're right, that is very difficult for me to think of. But at the very least, I can definitely bend things into like that you're you're satisficing or whatever that phrase is, right? That you've mm-hmm. got something. My backpack is like that. I do care a lot about my backpack, but once I got one that more or less does what I want a backpack to do, mm-hmm. until and unless that breaks, I'm not pursuing better backpacks. I feel like I don't have to pursue the optimization of that. It's fine the way it is. Sometimes I worry about those because they wear out, like my slippers wore out and I had to buy new ones and it's a big <laughs> thing because it's fine where they are and, you know. It, well, maybe, I mean, maybe you're already anymore. saying this, but maybe one distinction for you is maybe it's not a question of whether you notice it because uh, you're probably going to notice things. But it's a question of whether that noticing is on the one hand annoying or in, um, invasive to you, like if you're thinking about it more than you want to, and maybe as importantly, whether you feel the need to do anything about that noticing. Like it's diminishing returns, right? And it's like, is it worth those diminishing returns? And the television... Like, it's totally diminishing returns. Same thing with the computers and phones and anything else that I'm obsessed with. Like, you're spending so much energy to get just that next little percent better than you had, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the things I'm actually interested in. But silverware, I'm so far past the diminishing returns. I'm not pursuing additional better silverware at all, ever. Like, you know, 20-something years we've had this. We got it when we got married, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. It's the silverware, and I spend no time thinking about it. But I'm very picky about silverware. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't mean it as a criticism, just so you know. I hope yeah, it didn't no, come, just, come across you know, as that. Like, just, a, uh, just, a, just a noticing thing. I can't help but think about people like my grandparents or, or my parents who were, you know, uh, not wealthy people. And it's interesting to look at that. You know, here's another one maybe that, that you can relate to is the, like, putting plastic on furniture or putting down a runner in the living room. I, I know we've talked about that before. Like what a strange, yeah, my grandparents, what a strange grandparents had the room you couldn't go in. Like, yeah. uh, but the, and I think so. Part of that I think is pride. Like these are the nicest things they own. They're probably really expensive. I I, I can keep this ni- nice. This has not been flooded or stolen or broken by children. Right. It, for long after the point where it is incredibly unfashionable because they've had it for literally fifty years. Still right. protecting it as if it's the, the the crown possession of the house that no one is allowed to sit in that room ever. <laughs> Right, you know, said no, no, with or without plastic over the furniture because that's the cliche, right? But part of it is that that furniture was probably really expensive when they bought it, and part mm-hmm. of it is just like the continued defense of that to say we can ha- we have nice things, and that's I mean, my grandparents' generation, a generation they grew up, you know, they grew up heating bricks on the uh, on the wood burning stove and then rubbing the hot bricks on their sheets so they would be warm enough to go to sleep at night. That's well, the generation that my grandparents are in, right? Uh, so them having a set of nice furniture in the living room, they defended that until the day they died, right? Because yep, yep. that's it was important for for a different reason to them, like ugly, awful, out of date furniture that nobody else liked. But the but I, I know I've told you about this. I know I've talked about this before. It's such a canonical like this, like story and vision is my um, paternal 
grandparents. So my paternal grandmother and my technically step-grandfather, although that was 10 years before I was born, they had this house, you know, until she died in 1987. And like, it was always the same. It was always immaculate. Everything was always exactly in the same place. But one of the features, well, first of all, what you just described, there was a, a family room and a living room. And, you know, the living room, you'd pass through the living room to go to the other parts of the house. But like, I mean, we, it's not that we weren't allowed in there full stop, but like, that's where the Yadros were. That's where the Hummel figures were. That's where some of grandma's decoupage was up. But like, importantly, that's where the nice furniture was. So you went in there to like open Christmas presents. You went there on like Easter morning. And like, if somebody fancy was visiting from out of town, so it wasn't off limits, but you didn't go in there. It was, it was just a modest little, you know, basically two bedroom house in Cincinnati. But what she did do that was just hilarious to everybody in the family was that the door opened off the porch, you came in and she had a plastic runner. So basically like a three foot wide plastic strip that comes in rolls with the little nubbies on the bottom. And that rolled across the carpeting and into the family room. And you made a real point of trying to stay on that runner when you walked from the door to the family room, just out of respect to grandma, you would do that. And I, I've told you, you know, this story, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was a big deal. And that, you know, was what you got used to was seeing the runner down and grandma would get the car, get the uh, carpeting shampooed like probably once or twice a year. But you can guess what happened, which is that when people came over on Christmas and Easter for Jesus things, it was a big, you know, how do you know? How is this day different from other days? Grandma rolls up the runner and guess what you see? You see a three foot wide, 12 foot long, perfectly clean stripe of cleanliness that you never would have noticed that never, you never would have noticed how by comparison, dirty the rest of the carpeting was, <laughs> except when she would pick that goddamn thing up twice a year. And it was farcical. It was so funny. And now the same path was there as when they had the runner on it, but now the runner was removed. So you knew that something very special had happened. That's kind of what my family felt like. I think she was in some ways probably proud of that stripe. Like she had done a good <laughs> job of protecting that path right? Just all the little incidental walking around that 363 days a year would produce a stripe. That's, that's a bad traffic pattern though. You really need to not have people walk through it. Like my, my grandparents, so my grandparents' room was not in a traffic pattern and you just couldn't go in the room. You just couldn't, couldn't go in there. Like don't, don't go into that room. Don't be in that room. Don't go into that room. There's no reason. Like a parlor or like off an entryway. I mean, I suppose you could have taken the hypotenuse instead of the right angle to go like into the kitchen and make a left. But yeah, but I mean, this is a Cincinnati ranch style house. This is not a classic yeah. like northeastern hallway down the middle with two sides kind of house. Interestingly, my parents tried to pull off the same thing. We had a dining room in our in our second house. We had a dining room, and they bought expensive dining room furniture for a room that would you know we would never go in because we ate you know in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. And this the dining room had. The good couches, the good, like, you know, coffee table and end table, the good rotating chairs. That's where the record player was. Like, everything, all the good stuff was there. And in theory, no one was supposed to go in there. In practice, my parents could not keep it up. They could not. They didn't have the foundation of poverty to... Defend, you know, to defend that uh, that that carpet with every fiber could, of their they being, like, like muster the legitimate anger, <laughs> right? Like, picture this: picture you you come into your grandmother's house, the runner is down, you have muddy shoes, and you you fail to walk on the runner. How quickly your grandmother would be in there screaming with her hands in the air at you, right? That you you know you didn't stay on the runner, you got mud on the carpet, uh, like there was an unlimited pool of uh, of energy to defend 
that territory, whereas my parents' pool of energy was limited. And eventually, by the time all three kids were born, we're spinning on the expensive swivel chairs, listening to records, like just they couldn't defend it. They defended it enough that it exists to this day. When I was visiting my parents, they still have that good furniture. Now it's in their basement. And when grandchildren come to visit, that's like the the couches they jump on, which is hilarious because I remember from my early childhood them trying to defend this furniture, but they were not able to successfully defend it. Despite the fact that my grandparents could defend their nice room for their whole like 80 something years of existence, my parents couldn't keep it up for more than, you know, 10 or 15. And then it was like they gave up. Um, And then... You know, I have nothing nice in my house, so I didn't even try to give up. <laughs> well, actually, not furniture-wise, but my television, I'm still defending that. I'm keeping children away from my television every day. We're, we have we have a slumber party coming this Friday. I got my first very small streak, and I, I, I'm not sure what it's from. It might have been from somebody cleaning it. Oh, on the TV? Yeah, No, it's just it's a totally removable streak. Oh, you can't let people touch the TV. I don't. <laughs> don't let them near Listen it. Listen to my mouth words. I've had this thing for months and months and months. This is the first streak and so i've been trying to troubleshoot it a little bit and figure out who i should yell at just a little bit um i think it might have been a cleaning type person um i don't think there were recently bubbles blown like soap bubbles blown in the lounge and and i did stop that i was like look we can't do that in here watch out for the tv watch out for the tv but Mm -hmm. there there is a smudge and i think i'm gonna have to get the, the special sauce and the little special cloth out and try to go at it it's a very very small smudge our house is very rickety, um, and we have the problem if you stomp your feet, jump up and down, walk heavily, do yeah. anything rhythmic in yeah. the room where the television is, Sympathetic it will start vibrations. to shake. vibrations, yeah. It will start to, it'll, you'll, you'll see it start to shake. Oh, no. Back and forth, back and forth. But you're like, you just, you just see it in your mind's eye, just tumbling over and shattering into a million pieces, so no jumping up and down. Now, here's, here's the problem. We have a slumber party this Friday for my daughter and a bunch of her friends. And the thing that she wanted for her birthday that she got is a dancing game for the Switch that these girls are all going to play in front of my television. There's and so I'm just going to so spend the whole time mentally holding that television in place. <laughs> Can you get my, a referee shirt and a whistle? <laughs> with with like, like, like a Professor X, I'm just going to be using my mind to hold the thing <laughs> in place. Oh, no, but it's so much more than that. Oh, there's so many things to worry about. Like, what if, I mean, you're going to be like uh, like uh, the Hills neighbor, you know, Con, when the girls come and stay over for the sleepover, they have to sign the waiver. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I didn't get my continental breakfast. Uh, yeah, first you guys be a little bit Mr. Con, and you're going to have to be a little bit of a referee because that's just the beginning. You're going to have you're gonna have little like jelly hands touching the controllers. There's going to be pillows flying around. Yeah, or potentially throwing in the controllers if I can't find the stupid wrist straps. I don't know what I did with them. If, does oh, the Switch come no. with wrist straps? Do you have a Switch? Yeah, and it does. Yeah, I gotta For find the little them. Puppy, I, the puppy ears? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like I gotta, they're not attached because oh, why would I need the wrist straps? But I'm pretty sure it's I don't even puppy, use. I don't even ears. use those motion controls. I use the the Pro Control all the time. So I got to find those and I got to attach them. So they got to make sure they don't don't break my Switch. Don't. You throw my switch at my television and break it, and don't cause my television to tumble down by setting up a vibration in my very old, very <laughs> rickety house that causes it to tumble onto the ground. And it's a dancing game. Like, I can't tell them no jumping up and down. Know, like, exactly. it's a dancing game. You already approved this. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. I don't blame uh, you. About that. But yeah, no, the TV, TV, I continue. I haven't given up on that yet. I haven't given up on defending my TV. I keep... Oh, wide perimeter around the television. No one should come near it. Certainly no one should ever touch it. They shouldn't even be within three oh, feet yeah. of the television. It's like a dog with an invisible fence. Like you don't, you don't need to get near that. We have devices that mm-hmm. control the TV. You, don't, you have no yeah, need to be yeah, near exactly. it. Exactly. Last year, I think I said your picture of this. Last year, 
they watched Moana by, while sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, good. Watch the television motionless. Yes. It won't shake. It won't fall down when you're watching it. Everyone is on the couches, yes. not right next to the television. Oh. And everyone is sitting, and it's a good movie, and we all enjoy you it. You enjoy it so much more if you're very, very still. Yeah. Very so still. Were, I didn't have to do it because it they're captivated by it. They're little girls. Mm-hmm. They're watching them on. It's a great movie. See the line on the sea with the find. It mm-hmm. finds me. Mm-hmm. Moana. Hey, well, listen. Uh, good luck. Report back and let us know how it goes. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. You can issue uh, citations. Uh, one more bombshell to go out on. Uh, mm. Guess what? <gasps> My oh. daughter <gasps> is now <gasps> a vegetarian. Uh? How much? She just told us this a couple days ago. One one day she decided that she, well, one day she didn't, I said, hey, you didn't eat your dinner. She left uh, the two pieces of chicken on her plate, the only two pieces that she got. And I was surprised because I remember there wasn't that much chicken left, so I gave her two small pieces. I figured, well, she'll finish that. She didn't touch a single one. I thought, well, maybe she doesn't like this chicken. How the much has day, she, she thought this through? The next day she told us, uh, <laughs> she told my wife, not me, uh-huh. that she's a vegetarian. So that explained not eating the chicken. And how so much? Far, but I mean, how much then, has she thought through the implications? So far, since then, we're, I think we're in day three or day four. So you're still in the midst it. of like you just eat less of whatever's here that's not meat. You're not. Have you oh, made no, a move no. to she's, preparing no, soy and we're, stuff? We're giving her vegetarian meals. Wow. As, as best as we're able to do, and she is sticking to it. We had one of her favorite meats tonight, and she did not have it. I'll be hornswoggled. Well, I mean, as much as you're comfortable saying, how what's how do you feel about this? What's your feeling? I think it's fine. It's the thing we want to do. The only thing I'm worried about is making sure she gets enough, you know, protein and iron and all this stuff because you don't a little kid who's going to be vegetarian, uh, as you well know, you know, fill up on on uh, pasta and potato <sighs> chips and be like, this is a nutritious di- a meal for me. I can I mean, have this my, is doctor, my diet. My my daughter is a practical vegetarian. I mean, in the sense that she mostly eats garbage that's not protein. I mean, right. for practical purposes, she is, is just about a vegetarian. So that's my main concern is guarding against her getting scurvy, essentially. Does she eat nuts? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I suppose, like, I, I don't know. I, I, my I mean, stepping mom, away from the usual, like, fake meat products and tofu, although tofu you can do a lot of good stuff with. She she did ask about the fake meat. Fake meat. I'm like, I'll oh, just have real food. Just have, like, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, my, my mother is vegetarian the whole time growing up, so I'm very familiar with, it, you know. <laughs> I have a, uh, I'm just wondering, I'm sort of wondering how, how long she's going to stick with it. Uh, yeah, but I mean, we'll I, we, we've talked about this a lot because my daughter has very much, not to make it about me, but she's very much in the past said that that's something she wants to do. And I've been very supportive, A, about her doing that if that's what she wants, but also B, I don't know if this is helping, but just saying, look, you can be vegetarian. There's, there's no rules. Just right. Like you do what you want to do. And Eating almost no meat, it doesn't need a name. That can just be a thing that you do. If you just decide, I, I made. We, we are so sadly like in this way because I made the exact same pitch. And the I'm, exact but just same you know, pitch I was, was like, not trying to say. I was not trying to backdoor some meatballs. It was more a way of saying, like, don't think that just because you this one time you accidentally ate something with chicken broth, like now you're a bad person. Like you, you're a Buddhist, right? You can always step back on the path. Like if you ever, you just do it for as much or as long or as little as you want, and uh-huh. don't worry about the name for it. Of course, that means nothing because the name is a huge part of the thing. Yeah, I know. I made the same pitch. I'm like, if you eat 99.9% less meat than you did before, that's that's a huge You're win. You're a functional vegetarian. But right. the name, because again, it's like it's like vegan Twitter and all the freaking out on vegan Twitter last week. People get so hung up on these names and the labels that 
And then the definitions of the names and the labels and like whether you were a heretic about it. It's Yeah. I mean, obviously this is when you say, you know, where where is this coming from? It's coming from peers, it's coming from YouTube, you mm-hmm. know, like getting the idea, this is fine. All, all fine. I think and it's good, definitely but, seeping like, in, in the in the environmental stuff too. Like there's yeah, a huge is, amount of environmental education. I feel like education. this is the age that, that little kids decide that they're vegetarians for the first time. Like this yeah. age of like sympathy for animals and really processing what it's involved, especially if you have access to YouTube and especially yeah, if you notice how, how few of them uh how few of them get off rice and pasta? Isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, <laughs> it's, I mentioned it's not, it's not an incredibly difficult decision to eat less of the stuff you never really wanted anyway. But, she, but that's the thing she does. Like part of the reason I was saying, like you can be vegetarian almost all the time and then, but just like make exceptions for the times when we have the things you really like. Cause I feel bad. Like we had, mm-hmm. we had ham and like ham is one food. of her favorite things. Yeah, right, 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 right. And, and I know she likes that. And also on the, on the next day we're going to have fried chicken, which is another one of her favorite mm-hmm. things. It's like, fine don't eat meat almost all the time but on the few nights a month where we have the one kind of meat that you really really like i don't want to see her you know foregoing it because she you know like, like it's, it she looks she doesn't look enthusiastic about being a vegetarian she looks sad and resigned she doesn't want to hurt the little animals oh <laughs> but she also you know she really likes hot dogs so it's like well what do you do with that like the magical animals. so i don't you know i don't want to i don't want to push her what i i just right. trying to express to her was like it's okay for you to have something every once in a while if you want to, but she's very, she's very determined. She's, she's a very determined little girl. So, you know, we're just going to make sure again, she doesn't get scurvy and doesn't try to live on Skittles. <laughs> Is it know? going to be a vegetarian slumber party? Uh, she was mentioning that like, it was normally like the morning after the slumber party, you make like a big breakfast with like bacon and everything. And my wife was saying, oh, so I guess no bacon for your slumber party. And I said, well, you can have bacon for the other girls. She loves my daughter loves bacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know how she felt about that. Felt about other people eating bacon when she doesn't. That, it's that's like, kind well, of where I was going with the have you thought it through, right? Because it's it's more than just like anybody can imagine anything. Well, I imagine I'll never smoke again, or I imagine I'll just get rid of my car, or I'll never be in a car again. It's like, but there's so many things that just come up unless you're willing to uproot a lot more than what feels it's an engineering problem. You're uprooting a lot more than what feels like one. Little yeah, and, and in her case, like, you know, researching, as she, uh, I suggested that she does, and she did researching, like, what do you have to eat to make up for all the things that meat normally gives you? A lot of those things are things she doesn't like. <laughs> so Ooh, that's, that sucks. that's a problem. Like, it's not just, okay, just eat more pasta, you'll be fine. No, but that doesn't actually solve the problem, surprisingly. Uh, how do you <laughs> feel about beans and green leafy vegetables? It's like, what? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, get ready. Your new friend you know, beans and rice. Mm. You, find, you get some iron from that spinach or whatever you're doing. It's like, ugh, you know. So that's, I think that's going to be the main problem area. Not the lack of meat, because I feel like she'll power through that, but the the new presence yeah, of what things get that, replaced with, right. that, don't, that don't taste good. Yeah. Oh, God, courage. I hope it goes okay. And be careful with that TV. Yeah, I will. 